All right. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be here at Fostoria Baptist Church. If you would open your Bible, please, to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 22. 2 Kings, chapter 22 in the Scriptures. Second Kings chapter 22. I've appreciated everything here. appreciate the staff that the Lord has given you from the pastor on down to, the, to Brother Aaron and then just different people who just decided we're going to work and to, to make this thing called the local church run and run smoothly. I think everybody ought to be saved. I'd like to see everybody in the world saved. I really would. And I would like to see everyone serving God through a local church. And maybe you're here today and you're not saved. You ought to be saved today. They, they just sang that. He your Savior wants to be. What's the conclusion? Well, be saved today. I think God wants you to be saved and He wants you to get saved now. For now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today. But then, if you're saved and you're not serving God in the local church, you need to start doing it. You say, Brother Paul, I can't play the piano. Well, that's fine. Not everybody plays the piano in the local church. Now, you may seem like everybody does in this. It's not true. Everybody doesn't play an instrument, all right? There's a lot of seats that are filled from time to time, and that's wonderful. But uh, you may struggle with the radio. Okay? That's fine. God wants to use you, and He wants to see you serving in the local church. And we had many people who were serving by taking logs and putting them in the attic last night. It's serving God. It's important. Okay? If they were still out there, they I would have run into them playing basketball and hurt myself even worse. I mean, so it, it's important. But I think every single person ought to be saved. Every single person ought to be serving God in the local church. If you don't have a church home, I would recommend this to you. There's a lot of things planned. God is at work here, and uh, we're just excited to uh, see what the Lord has for this church as it goes forward. 2 Kings chapter 22 is where we're going to be. I'd like to direct your attention to verse 15, and uh, we're going to read the Scripture, and then we'll go back and explain the Scripture, and then make some application. I wonder if you're able to stand, if you would stand with me at this time, as we direct our attention to 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 15. Notice what the Word of God says. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place, and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace." 
And thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. I thank you so much for uh, the music that has preceded and, Lord, the wonderful sweet spirit that's here. But now, Lord Jesus, we stand in need of a touch from God and and, uh, to hear the voice of God through the word of God being preached. And, Lord, we believe that you want to speak to us. And I pray that you'd set me aside. And I pray that you would take my my feeble members and use them as your instruments, Lord. I yield myself to you. And Father, I pray that your spirit and your power would be upon me as I preach and upon these that know you as Savior as they listen. And Lord, conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And if there's one here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray they'd be saved today. Thank you for this opportunity. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. The king spoken of in this passage of Scripture is none other than a man by the name of Josiah. Josiah came to the throne when he was eight years of age. And in the process of time, as he began to grow and mature, he came to the place where he decided, I want to restore the worship of the, of the God of Israel. I want to make the house of God a priority once again. Let me say that there are a lot of people in the United States today that for whatever reason have decided that though they know Christ as Savior, they're not going to make the house of God a priority. Let me say, that is always a mistake. If you know Christ as Savior, the house of God ought to be a priority. Now the house of God was not a local church for Josiah. It was the temple. But he decided, I, nobody has been worshiping God in the house of God. I'm going to make it a priority once again. So this is what he did. He said to his servants, he said, now I want you all to go. I almost said y'all. Okay, it almost slipped out. I'm trying to be very, very, uh, very... Uh, uh, Yankified and just, uh, just you know, just, but it almost slipped out. If it just slipped out, y'all would have understood what I was trying to say, right? It just, people say, well, you don't talk like you're from Mississippi. I don't know how you think I'm supposed to talk from Mississippi, but we'll not go into that. Anyway, he said to him, y'all go, he was in the southern kingdom of Judah, amen. He said, y'all go fix up the temple, okay? Nobody's been in there for a while. It's a mess. It's dirty. It needs to be cleaned out. We need to repair the house of God. And so they went in and they began to do that. They went in and began to clean it up. And in the process of cleaning it up, they discovered something momentous. They came to the king and they said to the king Josiah, they said, we have found the book in the house of the Lord. Wow, I'm not preaching on that passage, but what, what a statement. I have found the book. Can I tell you what book they were referring to? This right here. I have found the book. And so they brought the Bible to the king Josiah. As the king heard the words of the, of the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, he came to understand we are in trouble as a nation. We are in trouble because what we are doing doesn't match the book. Now, I want to tell you something. One of the most important tests of your spiritual life is how do you respond when what you are doing does not match the book? Did you know that there would be some of Josiah's successors that when what they were doing did not match the book, they would take a penknife and cut up the book and throw it into the fire that was there to keep them warm? That's what, some of his, that's what one of his successors would do. But I'm thankful to report to you this morning that when Josiah was confronted with the fact that my life doesn't match the book, he decided, I'm going to change the way I'm living. I want to ask you something. How do you respond when your life doesn't match the book? 
How do you respond? Now there's a phrase here. The Bible says that Josiah was concerned about this and so he sent his servants to go and inquire of the Lord. You could ask me theological questions about this that I would not be able to answer. As an evangelist, whenever someone asks me a hard theological question, I usually say to them, go talk to your pastor. He's more qualified than I. I can't explain to you why they went to a prophetess in this passage of Scripture. I don't know. Go ask your pastor. He has all those answers. He knows about all of those things. I do know that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God has chosen men to take the spiritual leadership. I do know that. I don't know why they went to a woman here, but they did. All right. The Bible says that she dwelt at the college. Her name was Huldah. She dwelt at the college and she was keeper of the wardrobe. All right. I can understand a woman being the keeper of the wardrobe. As a matter of fact, my wife picks out all of the things that I wear, lest I embarrass myself in my ministry. At any rate, she was keeper of the wardrobe and Josiah's servants came to her and asked her the question what is going to happen to Judah because what we have read in the book doesn't match the way we've been living can you help us what is going on and what we have read in 2nd Kings chapter 22 is God's answer through this woman to Josiah But as we have read the answer, now the answer says, the answer just confirms the word of God. Everything that you read that's going to happen is going to happen to this place because you have walked away from the Lord God of your fathers. Make no mistake, this woman is not changing the word of God. She's just confirming it. She's just saying, go back to the book. It had the answers all along. And what it said is going to happen is fixing to happen. All right, but. I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 18. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard. Now notice verse 19. There's a very important phrase I'd like us to look at. Because thine heart was, you say it, tender. Because thine heart was tender. I want to preach to you this morning on a tender heart. What is a tender heart? Well, from time to time, my mother-in-law comes to our house in Mississippi. Now, my mother-in-law lives in Ohio. For a brief time, she lived in Michigan and, uh, and brief time in Indiana, but uh, now she, she is in, living in Ohio. And, it's, and so she comes to our house from time to time. Now, my mother-in-law loves Hallmark Channel movies. All right? How many of you know what the Hallmark Channel is? Can I see your hand? Okay. I don't know why the Hallmark Channel is still on television, on cable. I, I think it is. I don't own cable, but uh, I sure don't pay for the Hallmark Channel. But anyway, I don't understand why the Hallmark... I mean, the Hallmark Channel is all about sappy movies. It's just sappy stuff. And, uh, and my mother-in-law brings these things. Now, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that enjoys... A movie, all right? If I got to sit there for an hour and a half, I just, it's just not for me. I just don't like, but you know what? The other side of the family that I married into, they enjoy these kinds of things. And so they, uh, they, they want to put them on and they want to watch them. And then they have this thing called binge watching. Ah, I can't stand binge watching. You mean I got to sit there for six hours and watch Pride and Prejudice? From the BBC? Oh, man. It was the trial of my life when I got married. Now, out of love to my wife, I have watched Pride and Prejudice all the way through. As a matter of fact, I'm sad to report I can, I can actually quote some of it. And it's, it's worked its way into our uh, daily communication as a couple. And we tell jokes that are quotes from Elizabeth or whatever her name was. It wasn't 
whatever her name was. You know, I don't, I don't know that much about it, all right? But the Hallmark Channel. And you know, they put on this thing. Listen, if you get the Hallmark Channel right now, you can go home this afternoon and cancel it. I'll save you a lot of money, all right? This is a Hallmark Channel movie, all right? Boy meets girl, they fall in love. That's it. Sometimes you can throw in a horse. Sometimes you can throw in a dog. Sometimes you can throw in a rebellious teenager that uh, that finally gets right and says, I'm going to love my mother. But uh, those are only variations. That's all it is. That's all you need to know. You can go home and cancel it and you will not have missed anything. But my mother-in-law gets these movies and she brings them to our house and she wants to put them on and she wants to sit there and just gush fountains of tears and say, oh, isn't this so wonderful? And you know, the truth is, the truth is, some people would say that that constitutes a tender heart. You cry at Hallmark Channel movies. All right? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have a friend who's a college sports fan. Man, this time. Not my mother-in-law. Man. And there are times when in the big rivalry, his team doesn't win, Michigan State. He... He has been known from time to time to rise up after watching the game and a tear to run down his face. Sometimes that happens. A tender heart because his team lost the game. A tender heart because his team lost it. But is that what the Bible is talking about? So you cry when the Spartans lose or, or, or the Wolver or whoever loses. Do they ever win? Oh, never mind. I'm not going to go into that. Anyway, um... Anyway, I have to say I cried when, when at the last second North Carolina lost the NCAA championship, basketball championship a couple years ago. I almost cried anyway. I, I mean, it's one of those things that the ball leaves his hand, time expires, and it hits nothing but net, and you think, that couldn't have just happened. And yet it did, all right? So I'm kind of more sympathetic with that side. But honestly, does that constitute a tender heart? No, that's not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about a tender heart. So if crying at a Hallmark Channel movie isn't necessarily what the Bible means, and if crying when your favorite sports team loses, that's not what the Bible means. What does the Bible mean when it says, thine heart was tender? What does it mean to have a tender heart? Now, I'm thankful to report to you this morning that we don't have to guess about what that means. We're not left in the dark. As a matter of fact, there are some phrases here in 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 19 that lay out for us exactly what a tender heart is according to the God of heaven. And I'd like us to look at those. Notice what the Bible says in verse 19. The Bible says, Because thine heart was tender, and then there are some attendant actions. Thy heart was tender, and notice the first attendant action, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord. That's the first, that's the first description. I call that submission. What does it mean? It means voluntarily ranking my ideas below those of the Word of God. Now, we live in an age of social media. Everybody has an opinion, and they don't mind voicing it to you. 
I mean, they're going to tweet it. They're going to put it on Facebook. They, uh, they may put it on Instagram, although I found there's a little less drama on Instagram. But uh, at any rate, they're going to tell you their opinion. And if they don't tell you via social media, they'll tell you over coffee. And if they don't tell you over coffee, they'll call you up on the telephone. However it is, everybody has an opinion today, and everybody thinks their opinion holds uh, water and is of great merit. But let me tell you, when it comes to having a tender heart, a tender heart is defined according to the scriptures when I submit my ideas to the ideas of the God of heaven. And that's important here. The Bible says, Thine heart was tender, and it is shown in the fact that thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord when I, thou heardest what I spake concerning this place. Let me tell you something. Humility in the sight of God is one of the most precious commodities that we can bring. Listen to what he says in James chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says in James 4 and verse 6, 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, God resisteth the proud. But giveth grace unto the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but there's, for me, there's some fights that I'm just not going to get into. All right? I'm just not going to get into some fights because I know I'm not going to win that fight. I'm thinking of a pastor friend of mine. He stands six feet, eight inches tall. And uh, he's probably, I don't know, 240 pounds, something like that. I'm not going to get into a fight with this man. Okay? I have long arms, but they're not as long as his. All right, I may be able to lift a little bit, but I can't lift as much as he can. I'm not going to get into a fight with him because Pastor Shannon Monday is a whole lot bigger than I am, despite his girly name. All right, and uh, I'm not going to get into a fight with this guy. All right, and and there are some fights you and I don't need to get into. Do you understand when you and I bow up with pride and we insist upon our own way, we're picking a fight with God. God resisteth the proud. Somebody comes into the pastor's office. Oh, pastor, you got to put my life back together. Everything is going awful. It's just going terrible. And as the pastor begins to listen and begins to ascertain some things, he says, well, according to the word of God, uh, you need to do this. And in process of time, that person comes to reason whether they say it to him or whether they just reason it in their own mind. I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I want to do, so I'm going to do it. Can At that point in time, do you expect your life to get better? Do you expect the the pastor to be able to put the pieces together? Do you expect everything to just go and like a, a fairy a fairy tale from then on out? No, it's not going to be a happily ever after ending whenever you and I decide my ideas and the way I want to do things and the way I feel about it is more important than the Word of God. It's never going to work out because God resisteth the proud, the Bible says, but giveth grace unto the humble. One of the burdens that I have is to see a a, a nationwide awakening in the United States of America once again. God has brought us awakenings from time to time. What do I mean by that? I mean by that a time when people at large in the United States of America begin to be more receptive to the things of God and when multitudes are born again. I'd like to see that again. God's given us mercy drops. I'd love to see that happen again. Sometimes I preach on revival. Sometimes I go to Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 and I begin to preach on revival. About that time, some theologue who has more education than he has sense comes to me and says, well, Brother Paul, do you realize that 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 is not written to the New Testament church? Do you realize that it is written in an Israeli context, a Jewish context, and therefore we cannot use it as we preach on revival? 
Now, let me say, let me say, I believe in a, dis- a difference between the local church and Israel. I believe there's a difference in the Word of God. I believe that. And I do realize that Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 is written to Old Testament Israel. But I, I want to ask this question. In what dispensation of the Word of God was it ever a bad idea to humble yourself? When has that ever been bad? When has God ever looked at people humbling themselves before Him and said, No, I'm sorry, you're not Israel, so I'm not going to bless that. I submit to you that whenever we find mankind humbling himself before God anywhere in the Word of God, whether it's Israel, whether it's Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3, whether it's the New Testament church, or whether it is you and I today, God looks at humility and blesses humility. What does a tender heart look like? Well, it looks like humbling myself before God, voluntarily taking my ideas and ranking them below those of the Word of God. Whenever they, whenever they conflict with the Scripture, My ideas, my feelings, my sentiments, they suddenly don't matter. It is God's Word that will guide my life. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a tender heart. I want you to notice he describes another attendant circumstance here, another attendant verb. The Bible says, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord. If you would please skip down. He talks about what he spake uh, against this place, against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse. Now notice, here's another attendant verb. And thou, understood, thou hast rent thy clothes. Thou hast rent thy clothes. You see, the first part of a tender heart is submission. Voluntarily ranking my ideas below those of the God of heaven. The second, the second description of a tender heart is admission. Admission. Unafraid to publicly acknowledge a spiritual need. Now, let me explain this thing to you of rending the clothes. Okay? I don't think anybody here has has intentionally torn any of your clothes in quite some time. Now, I, I, I tear my clothes from time to time, but that's because I'm out, out in the pasture somewhere and I'm working and uh, my pants get caught on a barbed wire fence or something like that. But that's different from what the Bible is talking about. In the Bible, they would voluntarily take their clothes and just rip them. Now, let me say there's some things we need to understand about this practice. First of all, in Bible days, they did not have the equipment to mass produce clothing like we have today. Okay? I have one wife and two daughters, which means I have more clothes than any man ever dreamed he would ever own. I say to my girls all the time, I say, girls, listen, we live in a trailer. If you're going to get a brand new outfit, whatever that means, that means you've got to get rid of an old one. This is scientifically true. Because if you don't get rid of an old one, pretty soon clothes are going to be belching out of your closet while we're driving down the road. And we just can't have this. And so I went into the closet and looked the other day, and their, their clothesline bar that used to be straight and parallel and all of that now was smiling at me. I said, girls, we've been talking about this. We have a lot of clothes today. We have clothes that are made in all kinds of places. They're made in the Philippines. Most of them are made in China and so forth. But uh, we, have, we have lots and lots of clothes. They didn't have that in Bible times. That's why when Samson came to the Philistines and said, I will give you 30 changes of raiment. 
is a whole lot different than going down to Walmart and buying 30 pairs of blue jeans and 30 t-shirts. Okay? It meant something. 30 changes of raiment was an extravagant gift to whoever would come up with the answer to Samson's riddle. Okay? That's why Gehazi in the Bible asked for some extra changes of raiment. That was a symbol of wealth. If you had a lot of clothes, that meant that you probably had a lot of money because clothes were hard to come by in Bible days. Much harder to come by than they are now. You, everybody could have clothes in Bible times. I want you to understand that. But just not as many different options as we have today. So for them, in Bible times, to take one of the few suits of clothing that they had and to rip it apart, that meant a sacrifice on their part. It was a tremendous sacrifice. In the Bible, they would rend their clothes whenever there was something that they had heard that was very troubling. Usually, they would rend their clothes because they had understood something troubling about themselves. As a matter of fact, in the book of Joel, chapter 2, Joel says, rend your heart and not your garments. They had gotten into a habit of rending their garments as an outward show. And Joel says, I don't want you to do that. I want it to be a heartfelt matter. But here, in this passage of Scripture, Hold of the prophetess says to Josiah, Thou hast had a tender heart, thou hast humbled thyself, and thou hast rent thy clothes. By rending his clothes, Josiah was making a public admission of his guilt before God. He is saying, oh no, what I've heard in the scripture is troubling. What I've understood about my life is not good so much so that I am willing to sacrifice what I'm wearing and, 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 and let everyone know I need to get right with God. Now I'm going to tell you something. If that's part of a tender heart, there's a lot of people in our churches that don't have tender hearts. Pastor, I still believe in an old-fashioned invitation, an altar call. You say, Brother Paul, can't you fake it when you come forward? Absolutely, you can fake it. But you can also be real about it. And you can also say, I don't care what anybody thinks, I don't care what anybody says, God has spoken to my heart, and I'm going to get it right, and I don't care who knows about it, I want to get it right, I want to get it right right now. That's part of having a tender heart. Part of having a tender heart was admission. He was unafraid to publicly acknowledge a spiritual need. What did David say in Psalm 51 and verse 3? He says, I acknowledge my transgression unto thee. In other parts of the psalm, he says, My iniquity have I not hid. We're in a time today when we want to either, one, we want to flaunt our sin, or when we come to the house of God, we want to hide it. But David said, listen, I'm not going to flaunt it and let everybody think it's a good thing. I'm going to come to God and say, God, I have sinned, and I'm ashamed about it. But I'm, I'm ready to get it right. I want to ask you something. Many of you have teenagers here in this place. And you know, I, I preach to teenagers in camp every year. I preach to them in youth rallies from time to time. I preach to, I preach to teenagers a lot, and I, I enjoy preaching to teenagers. And I preach about having a tender heart. But you know, can I just so, share with you something, parents? It's hard for me to preach to your kids about having a tender heart when they haven't seen you walk an aisle and go forward about anything in 15 years. Maybe. God hasn't spoken to your heart in 15 years in a service like this. Maybe. I don't know. But if he has, why would we shun an old-fashioned altar call where humility and admission of sin meets the help of God and victory going into the future? 
Why would we shun that? Why would we get on our blogs, our ministerial blogs, and decry that as if it's a bad thing? Ladies and gentlemen, part of having a tender heart is ability and and willingness to admit the sin before God. Thou hast humbled thyself, God said. Thou hast rent thy clothes. I want you to notice a third and final verb that's found here. The Bible says, Thou hast rent thy clothes and wept before me. There's submission here. There's admission here. But there is also contrition here. Now listen carefully. The Bible says, Thou hast wept before me. What is happening in Josiah's hearts? Josiah's heart is is so tender that he has allowed God's truth to so impact him that his emotions are unreservedly involved. Now, there are people that come to me and say, Well, Brother Paul, I'm just not a very emotional person. Well, that may be, but I would venture to guess there are some things that you're emotional about. I'm thinking of a man in this state right now that to talk to him, he doesn't get excited about athletics. He doesn't get excited about about hunting or fishing. But you know what? You can start to talk to him about gathering syrup, sap, to make maple syrup. And suddenly he becomes very excited. Who knew? Now, I want to stop and say, I'm thankful that somebody in the north somewhere is excited about gathering sap for maple syrup because I love it on my pancakes, all right? But, you know, I got to tell you, that's not something that the average person gets excited about. But you know what? In talking to him, he's just kind of a laid-back fella until you begin to talk about his maple syrup, and then he becomes more and more animated, and he's excited about it. He talks about tapping the trees. He may be doing it yesterday. I don't know. But uh, they, they tap the trees and get the, and all that lengthy process. And wow, for most of us, we just think, well, I'm glad somebody somewhere does it, but man, it's a little bit much for me. But he got excited about that. You know, I tend to believe that every single person in this room, no matter how unemotional you may pretend to be, you get excited about something. Something moves you emotionally. You know, Josiah was to the place that his heart had gotten to the place that whenever he encountered the truth of the Lord the Lord and the Word of God, he allowed it to affect his emotions. Please understand something. Christianity is not to be emotion-led. Okay? I don't go soul winning because I feel like it. Guess what? There are times when I don't feel like going soul winning. But I do it because it's right. There are times that I don't feel like getting up and praying, but I do it because it's right. There are times, that, and you just, you just go down the line. There are times when we're not going to feel like doing right, but we do it because it's right. And when I do what's right, then I feel good afterwards. That's the way it works. But Christianity is not to be emotion-led. However, neither is it to be emotion-less. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. And we can debate about what that means, but somewhere along the line, that's going to involve your emotions and mine. Somewhere along the line, you and I are going to have to come before the God of heaven. We're going to have to so stand in awe of His word. We're going to have to be so impacted and so moved that whether that, that there ought to be some kind of an emotional response to the truth of the word of God. And you know what? I'm afraid that sometimes we have all of our theological I's dotted and all of our theological T's crossed and uh, we know the, 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 the superlapsarian errors of the hypostatic union and we can elucidate all of that theology, but it's done nothing to impact our heart before God. 
And all of those things are right and everything is, uh, and to the nth degree, it's all the way it ought to be. But there's been no emotional response to the God of heaven and all that He's done for us. What am I saying? Part of a tender heart is contrition. I come before God and man, all of the, all of who He is and what He's done impacts me emotionally. When was the last time that happened in your life? A tender heart. A tender heart. It's amazing to me as I read in Psalm 38, in, in 2017, Psalm 38 became a place where I spent a lot of time. I don't, have, I don't have time to go into all of the details, but in 2017, I was asked to do something that I never thought I would have to do as an evangelist. I thought that my ministry would be going into churches, preaching local church revival meetings and so forth. But in 2017, the church that had lost their pastor to suicide asked for my help. And in process of time, I was faced with some very difficult, difficult questions. I'm happy to report that though I was never more scared at any other time in my ministry, Pastor... At no other time in my ministry have I sensed such obvious leadership of God the Holy Spirit. It endeared me to God in the person of the Holy Spirit like I suppose nothing in my life ever has. But you know, I also came face to face with some grim realities of sin. And I came to spend some time in Psalm 38. We don't have time or I would go there. We would look at that, that psalm. It's a powerful psalm. But let me say to you that in Psalm 38, as you go through, you look at the effects of David's sin. There's all kinds of awful things there. There's physical effects of his sin. There's emotional effects. There's social effects of his sin. You can read it all in Psalm 38. It's, it's very powerful. But in Psalm 38 and verse 18, there is a wonderful, beautiful uh, breath of fresh air. When the psalmist David finally looks heavenward and says, But I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. And somewhere along the line, David got to the place of contrition. Where he so allowed God's truth to impact him that his emotions were unreservedly involved. So much so that he could say in another psalm, in Psalm 51, uh, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You see, when I, weep, when I get to the place where I begin to weep over my sin and I begin to weep over the spiritual needs of those around me, God doesn't look at me and laugh. No, no, no. He looks at that and there's something that happens and, and responds within His heart. He responds to humility. He responds to our admission of sin. He responds to contrition over sin. No, that just moves the heart of God. And so, in this passage of Scripture, the Bible says... In verse 20, Behold, there, the, the, the last phrase of verse 19, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, verse 20, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. What does that mean? Well, in this passage of Scripture, we have this man by the name of Josiah. And Josiah has come to God. He has given him, uh, he has, he's had a tender heart. And God looks at his tender heart. He says, I've got to punish Judah because of my, in order to keep my word. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to delay that punishment. Because you 
had a tender heart. Wow. Wow. I wonder, I wonder if it's possible for me to stand between my family and God's judgment and to delay that judgment because of a tender heart. Might it be possible for me to stand between a community and God's judgment? And might it be possible for me to delay that judgment on the community because of my tender heart? Might it be possible for me to stand between God's judgment and, 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 and a state and a nation? Might it be possible for me to stand between God's judgment and, and that nation and for me to delay God's judgment on that nation? Because I come before God with a tender heart. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that God is looking for tenderheartedness among His people. This and I'll be through. I'm amazed at the man David. God describes David as a man after my own heart. What a description. But despite that description, as I read about the man David, I, ha- I find some rather sordid details of the story. Do you realize that David was an adulterer? You that have read your Bible, you remember that. David's sin with Bathsheba, adultery is no small iniquity. It, it violates the beautiful picture in, that it exists in marriage of Christ and His church. Now, David didn't know about that in the Old Testament, but certainly adultery was forbidden by God, so much so that the adulterer in the city was to be taken out and stoned. The adulteress in the city was to be taken out and stoned. That's, what, that's how God viewed adultery. And yet David was an adulterer. David, furthermore, was a murderer. He was a murderer. To cover up his adultery, he had to commit murder. We know the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. We who have been in church understand that it means in the context of you're not to murder someone. That's one of the Ten Commandments of the Bible. And yet David was guilty of it. The man after God's own heart. We, can, we further read in Second Samuel and we discover that David was guilty of torturing people. If David were alive today, he could be convicted, tried and convicted by the United Nations for war crimes. Because the Bible says he caused them to pass under saws and harrows of iron and all kinds of awful things that he did, particularly in his Ammonite campaign. And I think to myself, a liar, an adulterer, a murderer, a torturer, How can such a one be the man after God's own heart? Hard question. The only answer I have for it is this. That David, when confronted with his sin, was willing to respond with a tender heart. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care who you are or what you've done today. When you turn to God with a tender heart, a heart of submission, admission, and contrition, God will turn to you with mercy. He won't erase all the consequences of everything you've ever done, but oh, how God blesses a tender heart. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful story of Josiah. Lord, I want to be a man of a tender heart before you.
And Father, I believe that you've spoken to many of your people here this evening, or this morning. And they want to be people of tender hearts as well. Lord, I would venture to say that many in this room do have a biblical tender heart before you. But I also firmly believe that you have put your finger on some, some things in some people's hearts. And Lord, you're calling for a response this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Before we move into the invitation, just a couple of things, a couple of questions to ask you. How many of you would say, first of all, Brother Paul, there was a time and a place when I trusted Christ as Savior. You said at the start of your message you think everybody ought to be saved, Brother Paul. There was a time when I got saved. I can give you a Bible reason why I know that I'm on my way to heaven. If that's you, put up your hand right now. Would you do that, please? I know that I'm saved, Brother Paul. God bless you. Thank you. Hands all over the auditorium. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I wonder who would say this this morning. Brother Paul, I don't have that assurance. If I were to die today, I'd like to think I'd go to heaven, but I'm sure not certain of it. I wonder, would you pray for me? I'd love to pray for you. If you're here and you're not certain of your salvation, I wonder, would you just put up your hand right now? I'm looking, the pastor's looking. We'll, we'll see that hand. We'll pray for you. Anyone here this morning, pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. All right, child of God, has God spoken to your heart this morning? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. If God has spoken to your heart, you know it and God knows it. But I believe it would be a wonderfully appropriate thing if God has spoken to your heart for you to respond publicly at this invitation. You just come, you kneel wherever you can find place here at the front, and you just obey the Lord this morning. Whenever I preach and whenever I give an invitation, I just want the Holy Spirit of God to have freedom to work. And I want God's people to be immediate in their obedience to His leadership in their lives. May we stand together, please. Everyone standing right now. Father in heaven. I pray for those that you've spoken to. Lord, they know it and you know it. And Father, whatever it is that you're leading them to do, I pray that they would obey you and obey you right away. Help them not to delay and see what anyone else does, but help them to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit right away. And bless, I pray, in this invitation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The the instrumentalists are going to play a song of invitation. You just obey the Lord. Whatever that means, whatever God is leading you to do, You just obey Him this morning. Would you do that? Some are coming. If that's what God would have you to do, I would ask you to just obey the Lord this morning.